Good morning, Emmaus. Uh, if you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. First book there in the New Testament. We are on a very long journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And so if this is one of your first Sundays with us, hopefully your Bible will begin to automatically open to the book of Matthew, or if you have access to the Bible on the phone in front of you and you want to bring that out, we would encourage you to do that as well. Uh, my name is Owen. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus as well, and we're, just, like Jaron said earlier, so glad that you've gathered here to worship with us this morning. And I want to let you know up front, just kind of give you a heads up about where we're going at the end of our time together today, at the end of the service. We do the end of the service a number of different ways. Today, we will do a reflective prayer time. I'm going to guide us through some times of prayer at the end, and so we'll have a chance to pray through the scripture that we're studying today. We say this over and over and over again. When we dismiss and we say, hey, thanks for being here, have a great day, that does not mean that the time of responding to God's word has ended, um, that that. You will have an opportunity after we pray at the end. We stay up here at the front, and we would love to pray with you about God's work in your life. Today might be the day that you say, finally, I'm ready to trust in Jesus for salvation. I understand what it looks like for him to work in my life. I trust in him. We want you to tell us about that. Maybe your response to God's word today is you came in here with the purpose of remaining anonymous, trying to hide, not let anybody know, Maybe your response is you fill out that guest card, and just because the offering plate has gone by doesn't mean you can't turn that in, that you're going to reach out and say, no, I do want someone to know I was here. I do want to ask someone to pray for me. Fill that card out. Give it to one of us up here at the front. Put it in a box as you leave. Give it to a volunteer at the door, whatever that looks like. Maybe your response to God's word today is that you decide to come back tonight at 5 o'clock to hear about camp, to participate in the picnic. Maybe your thing is not to connect too closely with the church, but God's calling you to do that. Come to the lunch today for Discover Emmaus. Come back tonight at 5 o'clock. So many ways to respond to God's word. We just wanted to prepare our hearts for what that looks like at the end and know that when we say, hey, we're finished, we remain here at the front, and we would love to pray with you, uh, love to be a part of that. All right. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 35. Yeah, so turn over another page. End of Matthew chapter 9, I should have said. Here we go. Here's what God's word says here. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of being able to come to a time like this and we remind ourselves of this constantly, but not, we're not coming here to 
make you love us. We're not coming here to check off a box. We are, we are coming here, God, because we want to celebrate the hope we have in Christ. Maybe we come here because we're just hurting and, and we're, we're looking for hope. We're looking for a way forward. God, I pray for those who, who may be watching online who are hurting, who are going through hard life circumstances. God, even the gift of being able to participate remotely in a worship service. God, the gift of music, the gift of prayer, the gift of studying your word. God, we do not want to take this lightly because we know when we leave here, life will move fast, life will come at us. We want to make sure that our minds and our hearts and our lives are focused in the right direction. So God, we pray that you would use this time, use your word in a powerful way by the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as many of you know, and you're already planning your TV watching schedules for, the Olympics come around in 2020, right? Um, so you're already ready to watch, to watch the Olympics. I know my family is. So the Olympics come back around, and one thing that's always interesting to pay attention to on the Olympics are new sports that are added, or sports that were taken away but, but have been added back into the rotation for the Olympics. So for the 2020 Olympics, baseball and softball are thankfully back in the Olympics. We celebrate that. Uh, karate, surfing, skateboarding, sports climbing, uh, I think that is mountain climbing, sports climbing uh, of some kind. What got left out of the 2020 Olympics? Squash did not make it in. Um, I know, it's, it's tough. Now, after Emmaus shows off our pickleball skills, they're probably adding pickleball to the 2024 Olympics. They just don't, they just don't know that yet. Um, billiards got left out of the Olympics, and chess got lift, left out of the 2020 Olympics. They petitioned to get in, they got left out. Now, here's another thing. For 2024, for the Paris Games, breakdancing has been proposed as an Olympic sport. Um, my son just said the Olympics got a lot cooler. I feel like an old guy at this point because I'm like, breakdancing does not belong in the Olympics. But uh, that probably just says I'm an old fuddy-duddy when it comes to... Uh, now, here's my proposal, all right? Are you ready? Here's the sport that I think should be added to the Olympics. People watching. I think people watching... My wife, who is working in the nursery and is not in here, my wife would receive a gold medal for, uh, for people watching. Can you imagine, like, you go out to a public area and you've got these judges? I mean, the judging is already arbitrary in most sports anyway. And so you have the judges around analyzing how you pick out people, how you judge people in the, uh, in the crowd. I think people watching should be added as an Olympic sport. Um, the reason I mention people watching is because this passage of Scripture teaches us how to people watch. If you think that you are a great people watcher, if you love to go to a public area and just scan the crowd, if you think your spouse is a great people watcher, this is the people watching passage for the Bible, okay? Let's go to verse 35 and make sure we set this up correctly. Chapter 9, verse 35, let's make sure we understand what's going on here. It says in 35 that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. 
what you have in verse 35 is a really great summary of the ministry of Jesus. Went, teaching, proclaiming, healing. In many ways, verse 35 is meant to sum up chapters 5 through 9. So you take chapters 5 through 7, which was the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus. Then you take 8 and 9, which are primarily about the healing ministry of Jesus. And then verse 35 there just kind of sums that up about a summary of what Jesus' ministry looks like. Not only that, but it also is going to become a template for what it looks like in chapter 10 for Jesus to send out the disciples. So next week, when we look at chapter 10, you're going to see reflections of 935 showing up in chapter 10. But there's also something more going on here that I don't want you to miss. If you look back in chapter 4, so you scroll up in your phone, turn back in your Bible, look at the screen, whatever works best for you. But if you go back to chapter 4, verse 23... It says there that he went, this is 423, so turning back a little bit. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. <laughs> now if you say, wait, that, that sounds familiar, it's because there are only very small word differences between 423 and 935. Okay, so watch what Matthew is doing here. Remember, chapters 5 through 7 are the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching portion. Chapters 8 through 9 are a lot of healing and miracles. So Jesus speaks and Jesus heals. And what Matthew does, watch the framework here. 423 becomes the beginning of that section. And 935 becomes the end of that section. But it even goes beyond that because if you back up and you look at 418 through 22... That's when Jesus is calling out the disciples. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so he begins to portray this mission for them in chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Summary statement in 423. Then you get all this material. Then you get to the other side. 935 repeats that summary statement. And then what happens right after that? Jesus sends out his disciples into the harvest. Now, if you're the type of OCD accounting personality, engineering personality, where you like everything to fit together well, man, Matthew is your gospel. <laughs> like, this is incredible the way that Matthew puts this stuff together. So it's calling the disciples, you're going to be fishers of men. Summary of what that looks like. Five chapters of what that looks like. Summary statement, then, hey, now I'm going to send you out into the harvest to go and do what I've called you to do. I'm going to make you fishers and farmers, and this is what it's going to look like. That's what's happening in this section, and so when we get to our passage today, make sure you see it, not just as a set of isolated verses, but make sure you see it as kind of this capstone of everything we've been doing in 5 through 9. Okay, so with that in our minds, let's go to 936. So 935 is not a throwaway, throwaway verse. This is a key, key part, but then you get to 936, and you get this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. The first thing we want to pay attention to is that little phrase, when Jesus saw the crowds. Remember the crowds in Matthew 
are not the core disciples. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel as well, will make a very clear distinction between the disciples and the crowds. The disciples are those who are attached very closely to Jesus, following him around. The crowds are not sure. Um, the disciples are those people in your life that you think they're really zealous about Christianity. The crowd is maybe your personality of like, ah, Jesus is important. I respect Jesus. I'm just not really sure. So it says when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. Play a fill in the blank game with me, okay? <laughs> Put your name in place of my name when I do this. But when Owen saw the crowds, he felt annoyance <laughs> with them. Uh, he felt irritation with them. Uh, he felt anxiety because he doesn't like crowds. Like, what do you know? How do you fill this in? What we see is that one sign. Hear me out on this. One sign that I know I'm following Jesus, that I know he's beginning to change my life, is it changes the way I see people around me. One of the clearest signs that I know I understand more about following Jesus is it changes the way that I see people around me. This is one of those things that almost feels too preachery, too cheesy to say, but it's so important. We need to learn to see people the way Jesus sees them. We need to have what we're going to call this morning kingdom eyes. What does it look like to do this? Now, you look back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and it talks about how Saul looked on David with suspicion. Sometimes the way we view others is with suspicion. Uh, you think about something like the way the disciples saw the children that were coming to Jesus, and they saw the children as an interruption or an annoyance. Or you think about the good Samaritan who comes along and he sees the robber in need and goes to him where others saw but went away. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23 talk about the difference between a good eye and an evil eye. We learn to see things the way that God wants us to see them. What does it mean to have kingdom eyes? What does it mean that we begin to see people the way that God sees them? One of the things we have to do is we just have to step back and look at Scripture and say, what does Scripture teach us about God's view of humanity? And we know from Scripture that people are created in the image of God. And so when we look at people, we see those who are created in the image of God. We don't see projects. We don't see data points. <laughs> we don't see an interruption to our schedule. And we definitely don't see an enemy or a cultural enemy. This idea of seeing people as those who are created in the image of God rescues us from this idea of the church being in some sort of cultural war. It reminds us that every person we see was created in the image of God. And God loves that person. And God desires for his will to be done in that person's life. And so we need to be very, 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 that's probably too many varies, but very careful. Because in our world, we are trained to see everybody as either for us or against us. And so either this person is in my circle or they are an enemy outside of my circle on another team. And when we understand what it means to follow Jesus, when we see people, we see that person with dignis, dignity, we see that person with the image of God, we see that person as someone that God wants to work in their life. 
And at the same time, we realize that we are fallen, that we are sinful. And so when we look at another person's life, we see that person as someone who has fallen and sinful and imperfect, just like us, <laughs> because we know our own hearts and we know our own lives. And so we're not judgmental toward that other person and their failings, but we realize they're not perfect. We have a tendency to be very hard on others and maybe forgiving to ourselves. Or we expect others to be perfect and we overlook our own imperfections. And we need to be very careful about that because people are created in the image of God, but people are also fallen. But also, when you look at someone else's life, created in the image of God, fallen in sin, broken, hurting, someone for whom Jesus has died. When we look at people we see people that Jesus died for, that he loves, that he desires for them to be in a relationship with God through faith in him. And so what it sets us free from is envy and jealousy. So when I look at another person, I'm not thinking about if I'm envious or jealous of that person. It sets us free from lust because I'm not trying to use another person. I see that person as someone made in the image of God and I desire for them to know the goodness of Christ. It sets me free from a judgmental heart where I'm always wondering how I compare to them or what's going on in their life. It just allows us to love people because we begin to see them in this way. We begin to see them, hear me out on this, not for who they were, but for who they might be. And this is especially hard for people who are close to you in life. <laughs> because the people who are close to you in life, oftentimes you just see them for who they were in the past, or maybe even for what they're suffering through right now, and for not what God might do in their life in the future. And so one sign that we're beginning to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus is we look at people and their brokenness, and we don't just think about where they are right now, but where God might take them if Jesus gets a hold of their life, if they begin to see how good he really is. And so we begin to look not just where that person's struggling with right now, but what God might, might want to do in their life and through their life in the future. And let's be honest about this. This doesn't come easily. <laughs> like, this is a difficult place to get to because we know our view toward people. We know we can be suspicious. We know that we can see other people as an interruption. We know that we can see all the things that are wrong in a person's life. But man, when we get to the place that we can see them with compassion the way that Jesus does, it just changes the way you view the world. Um, and, and not in a, hopefully not in just like a weird psychological trick, but it really changes the way you go through your day. Because you go through your day with your eyes open. Jim says this so well. Uh, if you guys don't know Jim, the one up here earlier talking about missions, Jim says this so well that we live with our eyes wide open to things around us. Uh, you guys know Jim goes through life and he sees needs that are out there and you're like, man, I've seen that person before and I've never paid attention to that. Like sometimes we just have to slow down, look at who God has put in our life and say, okay, God, what does that person need and how do I respond to their situation? How do I reach out and care for them? Sometimes you need other people to help you see clearly. Your view towards someone might be jaded because you're so close to the situation or because of something that's happened in your life. And one of God's great gifts in the church is he gives you people around you to say, hey, be very careful 
how you're speaking about that person. Or be very careful how you perceive that person because I know, I know what you know about them and I know that you're hurt because of the past, but don't overlook what God might want to do in that person's life. And so God brings somebody along just to remind you to see clearly because your vision is so clouded because of what's happened in the past or maybe circumstances you have with that person. So we begin to see people the way that God wants us to see them. And maybe I'll just throw in this last, I forgot about this last bullet point up here. This doesn't mean that we're gullible. Uh, we still need discernment. Like, there's still a place for that. We're not, we're not saying that we're, we're gullible or we're not discerning, but it means that primarily above everything, we are gospel-focused in the way we view people, in the way we think about them, in the way that we see them. Okay, so that's the first phrase. Our perspective changes, how we view people changes when we follow Jesus. But look at that next, that next word in, in verse 36 there. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Kids, you guys that are in elementary school, this word compassion is a really cool word because part of the word talks about your guts. Like it's a word, like if you were going to talk about the guts inside of you, uh, this is a word that part of the word talks about the gut. Like it's a feeling that you have deep in your gut. We might say my heart goes out to that person or we might say I feel for them deep within this this gut level feeling for someone so it's not a surface level compassion this word compassion in the new testament talks about a hurt or a pain we feel at the gut level when we look on other people so it's it's a deep type of emotion here every time and this is something i love about this word every time this word is used in the gospels it's not just how you feel about the person but it's always connected with an action toward the person to care for them. This is so unique because this is not just, oh man, I really hurt on behalf of what that other person is going through. It's a word. Every time it is used, it is followed by an action to reach out and care for the person who's in need. So it's a gut feeling. I hurt for that person that I see because of what they're going through. I feel it deep within and I respond with action. This sounds a lot like the book of James in the New Testament. I don't just say, hey, I hope things go well for that person, but I actually reach out to care for them. That's kind of the idea that's going on here. So Jesus has this type of compassion when he looks on the crowds. Why? Because, middle of the verse, because they were harassed and helpless. Uh, these are words that are just a little bit harder to explain. We're trying to say, okay, what's going on here? What's Jesus talking about here? These words, in, in my translation, because they are harassed and helpless. If I was trying to give you maybe two other words just to hone in on what's going on here, the first word is about being oppressed or, or beaten up, beaten down might be a way we would think about it. So things are happening to you that feel oppressive. It feels like you're being attacked. feels like you're beaten up. Things are constantly going wrong. So it's kind of that harassed word. The word helpless is a word that we can kind of resonate with because it's almost the word exhaustion. I've just been laid out. <laughs> so I've been beaten up and now I'm laid up out. I, I'm oppressed and I'm so beaten up by life that I just feel exhausted because of what I'm going through. 
can I get an amen? Um, <laughs> what does it look like when you go through things in life and it just keeps coming at you and just keeps coming at you and just keeps coming at you and at some point you just feel emotionally and mentally exhausted, not only, I mean, not just physically exhausted, but it's like this deep type of exhaustion that it's hard to keep going. These are the type of words that are being referred to here. So Jesus sees the crowds. He knows that life circumstances have beaten them up. He knows that they're facing the reality of sin. He knows that in many ways they're lacking purpose. There's that great quote from Augustine about how our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Um, that in some sense we don't have purpose, we don't have direction. Look at that last phrase there. So why are they so beaten up? Why are they so exhausted? Because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They don't have anyone to care for them, to feed them, to guide them where they need to go. There's no purpose, there's no encouragement, there's no feeding, and so they're just oppressed and they're exhausted. Now, we could take a long time to talk about what it means here when it says sheep without a shepherd. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a few guiding points. If this is something you would like to look at further after the sermon, if you want to do some, uh, some reading that connects what we're talking with now, but you're trying to kind of think, okay, what's going on here? For a Jewish audience, when they heard the phrase sheep without a shepherd, all kinds of bells would have gone off in their heads because of what we call the Old Testament, what they would have just known as the Hebrew Bible. This type of language shows up a lot in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 11 is one place you need to go and check out. Zechariah, you'll have to find the table of contents in your Bible to get there. Zechariah chapter 11 is one place you want to go and look at on this. Jeremiah chapter 50 is another point of reference. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel has been our book and our Route 66 reading plan this last week, but Ezekiel chapter 34, you get some of these same ideas. Um, and then finally, Numbers chapter 27 is, is another place. But if I was just kind of pointing you toward two places, it would be Zechariah 11 and, and Ezekiel 34. Because what you find, here's what you find when you get to the Old Testament. You find that the people of Israel are struggling because their leaders have checked out on them. And it's not just that their leaders have checked out, but here's what's happened with the leadership in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. They become greedy for their own gain, so the only reason they want to be in this leadership position is because of what they can get for it, and they've traded in holiness for sinful lives. So you have leaders of the people of God in the Old Testament who have become greedy and have become sinful unholy in the way that they live and they've completely neglected the people that they're supposed to care for and so scripture describes the people of israel as sheep without a shepherd now watch what's happening here so jesus comes on the scene here and he looks on the crowd and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd pay attention to this in matthew okay who does jesus get so upset with in the gospel of matthew it's the people who are supposed to be the religious leaders because they have checked out on the people. They have become greedy, they have become oppressive, they've started to lay all these extra burdens on top of the people, and so why are the people so beat up? Why are they so exhausted? Because they don't have anyone to lead them toward good news. What does Jesus do? He is the ultimate good news. 
these people are oppressed, beat up, exhausted, no purpose and direction in life. They have no leaders to lead them to still waters. Jesus comes, and in John chapter 10, do you know what Jesus refers to himself as? He says, I am the good shepherd. He comes as the one who will bring peace and joy and forgiveness and salvation to the people. If you're here this morning, or if you're watching us online, and your view of Jesus is so skewed because of what's happened to you in the past, or because of how you've been treated by other people, I want to say as clearly as I can to you today that Jesus is compassionate, that Jesus is good, that Jesus is powerful, that Jesus is worthy of your life, and that Jesus is good news. You don't have to get your life together to come to him. He comes to you in your exhaustion. He comes to you in your burdens. He comes and he takes those upon himself. He takes our sin, and in exchange, he gives us life and freedom and hope. And so this morning, if you're trying to get your life together, stop and turn to Jesus. If you see Jesus as oppressive and exhausting, know that that's not him. That he is good and compassionate and loving and you can trust him. And so when we come to Jesus, we find our perspective changed, we find our feelings changed, what we're passionate about. Then look at the next verse, verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How is this going to start? What does Jesus start with? He starts with prayer. Why does he start with prayer? Well, primarily because the task is huge, and it's the Lord's harvest, not ours. <laughs> so you pray to the one who's in control. You pray to the one who has the power to change things. So it's not just something we can do in our own power. We're praying because we realize how big the task is, and we realize that we're praying to the one who is in control of this harvest. We also pray because we realize we're not the only ones who are going to be necessary for this. There are going to need to be other laborers who are called out into this harvest. And so we pray, desiring that others would be called out. Not only that, but watch what happens here. He says in verse 38, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now preview of what's going to happen next week. Do you know what happens in chapter 10? Jesus sends out laborers into the harvest. Do you know who he sends out into the harvest? The ones he just told to pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest. Um, you may have heard this idea of sometimes we have to put feet to our prayers. Now there's a way that we need to be cautious of that. But in this situation, that is a very biblical statement. Because Jesus is going to call them to pray for laborers to be sent out. Jesus, send out laborers in the harvest. Amen. Okay, Jesus, send people. He says, oh, good. You, go. You that just prayed for laborers to go. You're the one who gets to go. When we pray, it reminds us of what we've been called to do. And so we pray, Lord, call out laborers in the harvest, dot, 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 and begin with me. Send me out to do this. I'm praying because I know I can't do this without you. But Lord, you're not calling the person next to me this morning to do this. You're going to call me 
to go into the harvest. Now let's talk about this really quickly in kind of two different ways because I want us to make sure we don't miss this as a church. There is a true, important, broad sense in which this applies to every single one of this. If you've not been around Emmaus, we'll use a series of words at this point. We talk about where we live, learn, work, and play, okay? So where you live, where you go to school, where you work, and where you participate in your hobbies, those are the harvests. Those are the places that God is sending you out to share the good news of Jesus. Live, learn, work, and play. That is true for every single one of us who hears these words this morning as a follower of Jesus. At the same time, there are times that the Lord will call out people to specific types of ministry, to local church ministry and leadership in the local church or to missions in the local church. And in all the time that I've been here at Emmaus, the three years I've been here, I don't think I've ever made a particular call for this, but hear me doing this this morning. You may be sitting here this morning. You may be a teenager, college student. You may be a senior adult retiree. And you know that God has called you into a full-time, dedicated ministry, either within the local church or on the mission field. And this morning, you dodged it for three years because I never brought it up. (laughs) But here it is being brought up, that we are praying as a church that the Lord would call out laborers into his harvest. Every one of us, where we live, learn, work, and play, but maybe some of us, to specific type of work that God would be doing that. Maybe you're a kid here this morning and you know that God's worked in your life and he's calling you to missions work. He's calling you to work within the church. That you would hear God's word this morning that that would happen for your life. Our perspective changes. Our prayers change. Our passions change. And then ultimately our purpose is going to change next week when we talk about chapter 10 and what it looks like for Jesus to use his authority to call us out. Let me show you a final slide that we want to wrap up with, okay? When we're on mission as followers of Jesus, what changes? Oh, no, my number got messed up. That's okay. My OCD is going to hate that, but I'm going to live with it. Gosh, that's all right. It's not all right. I'm trying to tell myself it's all right. It's not. It's not. What changes when you follow Jesus? How do I know that I'm really on mission? How do I know that I'm really following Jesus? It will change the way I view people around me. They're not an annoyance. They're not an interruption. They're not an irritation. They're a gift from God that he's placed in your life. Everywhere you go, where you live, learn, work, and play, God has put people there who he's created and he's put in your path. How do I view people? How do I view the people closest to me and my family? How do I view the strangers I run into? It changes the way I feel, my passions, my compassion. I feel deeply because I know people are hurting at a deep level. Can I tell you something that you already know but we need to be reminded of? Just because a person or a home seems to have it together on the outside doesn't mean that they're not hurting deeply on the inside. There are people all around you every day who are just barely holding it together. And it looks great on the outside, but they are harassed and helpless on the inside. Pray that God would give you eyes to see, compassion, 
to have for that type of person. And it would change the way you pray. Lord, I know this is a big task. It's a big harvest. Send us out. Start with me. And then next week we'll talk about, okay, what does that purpose look like? How does following Jesus change the purpose for my life? If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus Christ brings compassion and hope as we repent of sin and trust in him. He is good, he is loving, he is taking your sin upon himself, your suffering upon himself, and he rose from the dead so you do not have to be afraid of what you face. I pray that you would trust in him. Emmaus, would you bow your heads with me? We're going to end our time together with a time of prayer. After I pray, like I said earlier, we'll be dismissed, but I, I pray that you would not stop responding to God's work. You would fill out that prayer card. You would commit to come to the lunch today or to the, the meeting tonight at 5 o'clock. More than anything, I pray that your response would be, you're not going to leave this room without telling someone about what God's work in your life looks like right now, that you would come for even prayer here at the front afterward. Father, thank you for music. God, thank you for the music we've been able to sing together today. Thank you for times of prayer together. God, thank you for the gift of what we in church often refer to as fellowship, but God, just the goodness of other people in our lives, people to speak to us, Handshakes, hugs, interactions. God, thank you for the gift of your word. We come here not needing to hear a hot take from somebody. God, we come here needing to hear your word. And God, thank you for a passage like this from Matthew. Emmaus, right where you are. Pray that God would change the way that you see people around you. Right now, where you are, pray specifically for those people in your life that maybe you've given up hope for. Maybe you can only see them as they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or one week ago. You just see their past and not what God would do in their life. Pray that God would give you deep compassion. Absolutely, we need boundaries in life. Absolutely, we have to be careful the way we approach things. But we can pray we can ask God to guard our eyes and how we view people. Pray for those people this week that your first reaction is going to be that person is annoyance, that person is interruption, that person is my enemy. Pray that God would take care of that this week, that you would see them as someone created in the image of God who Jesus died for. Someone who's probably hurting deeply and you have good news for them. I would ask you to consider how God is sending you out into the harvest. That there are people who need to hear this good news. That God might be calling you to missions or to local church work. God might be calling you to get to know your neighbors, to care for the people at work, to care for the people in your sports team this summer. That you would pray, that you would love them,
And let me ask you right now, if you are not a follower of Jesus or you know your relationship with God is not in a good place, would you take these last few moments to call out to the Lord, saying, Lord, maybe it's been a long time since I've been in church. Maybe it's been a long time that I've resisted your work in my life. I've been trying to live for myself. And God, I need to trust in you. I need to come back to you. I need forgiveness. Would you call out to him right now where you're sitting, right there in your heart, saying, Lord, forgive me. I want to follow Christ. I want to live for you. I repent of my sins, and I trust in Christ. God, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Thank you for what it means to gather together as a church, God. Now we pray that you would send us out to live lives that honor you and love those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.